Good morning. My name is Jake. I had to make sure I was on. Forgot to do that. He was praying. I got in the moment. Totally lost. Good morning. My name is Jake, discipleship pastor here at Generation. Excited to be up here with you guys this morning. I don't regularly get to do this. This is uh, kind of fun to be up here teaching. You don't have to listen to Jarrett's annoying voice today. You can listen to my annoying voice today. Um, before I came up here, uh, J.J. Hamilton, Jarrett's son, had paused me and said, hey, don't show us. The, the gathering before this, Dallas Baker, I don't know if you know who that is, uh, he also said a similar thing. He's like, don't mess up with us. I was like, thank you. Your sneezes are so encouraging. <laughs> so encouraging. So anyways, um, before we start, I want to talk about baptism and what we believe here at Generation. Um, and this has nothing to do with the message. I guess it does a little bit, but um, I just want to talk about it for a second because we have baptisms coming up on September 19th. We have two folks that are going to get baptized. So here at Generation, we believe that baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. Put another way, we believe that baptism is you, if you choose to get baptized, publicly showing the world that you want to be a follower of Jesus and you want to show that to your friends and your families and the, the congregation, the church body, you want them to know that. We believe that Jesus commands us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we do not believe that there is any salvational power in baptism. We believe that it is a profession of your faith. It's an external, right? An outward sign of an inward reality. So if you are interested in getting baptized, you can either go to our website, the Church Center app, and you can register there. If you're like, man, I want to talk to somebody about it, I, I would love to talk to you about baptism. I'll be out in the lobby at the end of the service. Or you can stop at the welcome desk and talk to any of those folks. So I think that's enough about baptism. If you want to take the next step in your faith to get baptized, find somebody, go on the website, register. We would love for you to do that. Cool? Let me pray, and we'll get into John 15. Sound good? Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, open your word, to teach, and to uh, be encouraged by your words. Um, so, Father, we just pray that this would embolden us as a church body. It would encourage us um, to go out and live out our faith in the way um, that you long for us to do. So, pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, you can either open it or you can turn it on if you have a phone. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 15. Two weeks ago, we were in Matthew 14, and we were looking at Jesus. He was walking in water. It was a miraculous thing. The disciples were astonished. They were afraid. But then when they realized that it was Jesus, they bowed down and they worshiped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. So essentially confessing that he was Lord, that he was the Savior, that he was Messiah. And so out of an outflow of their heart, the overflow of their heart, their mouth spoke. Right? They felt that connection to Jesus in their heart, and outwardly their mouth spoke it. They said it, okay? When I was eight years old, my mom and dad had a waterbed. How many of you know what a waterbed is? Okay. How many of you like waterbeds? Okay. I don't like them, personally. I think they're weird. It makes me seasick. It's weird. Uh, no, but I, waterbeds are great, I guess. Anyways, my mom and dad had a waterbed, and the cool things about waterbed is you can heat them up in the wintertime, so like you can have a heating element in there, so that's nice. In the summertime, they're cool because it's water. Um, if your heating element ends up breaking in, this, in the wintertime, you are going to be freezing, seriously. Um, so they have a waterbed, and these waterbeds like sleeping on a huge water balloon. It's like just an oversized, king-sized 
mattress water balloon that you're sleeping on. And it holds a lot of water, a lot of weight. If you've ever picked up a five-gallon bucket, that's kind of heavy. It, imagine a, an entire like king-size mattress of one of those. So they have to have a base, and it's a rather large base. It's made of wood usually, like one by tens, huge pieces of wood. So my dad came home from work one day, and he found a J and an A chiseled into the base of the waterbed. I don't know if you guys know my name. It's Jake, J-A-K-E. So it was very clear who did it. He came and got me. He came, and my sister's name is Jessica, so I was, she would have really messed her name up. Um, so she, he came and got me, and he was like, did you do this? And I said, no. And he said, do you know who did it? And I said, it must have been the mice. We had a mouse in our house, and it, it was like I had to blame it on something. And then I just walked out, and we never talked about it again. There's no punishment. I think I was talking to him earlier this week. He was blown away by my response that he just didn't even know what to say. And I just walked out right after I said it, and that was it. So I tell you that story because out of an overflow of my heart, my mouth spoke. I did not want to get in trouble. <laughs> I was ashamed. I didn't want my dad to punish me. Like There was a lot of things happening there, and I lied. And so... Out of an overflow of my heart, my mouth spoke. I didn't want to get in trouble. And so that's exactly what's happening here in Matthew 15. Jesus is going to address the heart issue, that we all have hearts that need to be transplanted and replaced with new hearts. And so he's going to talk about that. And he starts out, it's a little bit of a weird scenario for the disciples because they're there with Jesus and the Pharisees come to him. So it's kind of like watching mom and dad argue. So they... They're kind of sitting back. And so this is what happens. Verse 1, the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. So they show up, these Pharisees are coming to Jesus where he is. They traveled probably 60 miles. So it wasn't an accident that they ran into him. They deliberately were going to Jesus and they traveled a long way to do it. And when they get there, they call him out. Right? Jesus' fame and his deeds and his works, they had gained much traction in the region of Israel, and it draw their attention, so they traveled to him, and they say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And they rebuked Jesus. They called him out, right? They called him out for not instructing his disciples to wash their hands, which feels a little silly to us today, but that's what they were there doing. And it's not just an ordinary washing of hands, it's a ceremonial washing of hands. Um, you understand there's, there's two types of laws for the Jews. They had two types of laws. They had the written law that was passed down from Moses. You can read about these laws in the first five books of the Bible. Then they had the oral law that was passed down from generation to generation by mouth until about 200 AD, 200 years after Jesus, passed down from, from the mouth orally, right? Generation to generation. And these, these, uh, these traditions were a pretty big deal. And once the elders established a tradition, everyone had to obey it. And for this particular one, at every meal, they had to wash their hands. And uh, this is a long process, right? You had to use pure water without, you know, no color, no impurities, no nothing, naturally pure water. And they used, they used this, they did this so much that they actually had huge 
jars that they would leave near places that you would eat. And what you would do is you would come up to the jar, you would grab the scoop, which was usually a cup on the end of a stick, you would grab it, scoop out water, and pour it onto your hands one at a time. And you had to hold your hands up like this when you did it so that the water didn't run back down your fingertips and then defile your hands again, therefore defiling whatever you ate, and then therefore defiling you. So you had to wash these hands. If you had to rub your hands together to get any extra dirt off, you had to start the process all over again, one at a time, let the water run down your hands so it didn't defile your fingers. It was a long process. You get it. <laughs> and there was even more steps to it than that. It's a long process. But it needs to be said that some of the oral laws, like the washing of hands, were considered more important than the written laws, more important than God's word. That's a big deal. This is why the Jewish leaders were so indignant. They were so upset that Jesus didn't instruct his disciples to wash their hands, and they called him out. And Jesus fires back and responds back to the Pharisees and the scribes and exposes the truth about their tradition and about those who are enforcing the tradition. And this is what he says. And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? That's a bold first sentence, Jesus. <laughs> why do you break the command of God for the sake of your traditions? And then Jesus gives us an example in verses four through six. For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, you Pharisees say, if anyone tells his father and mother what, he would, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. He's just dropping bombs left and right. The Pharisees are probably like, what's happening? The disciples are in the back going like, mom and dad are fighting. <laughs> I don't want to say anything. Jesus is calling them out. Scribes and Pharisees, they'd come up with these traditions that would allow uh, a child to not honor their father and mother. Think about uh, an elderly couple or an elderly parent who can't really provide for themselves anymore. They can't work. They can't work the field. Oftentimes, these parents, and it even happens sometimes today, they would either live in the same house as them or even on the same property as them, and the family would provide for the mother and father. They'd bring them food or cover their bills or whatever needed to be done. They would cover it for them. If a parent needed something and a child didn't want to give it up, the child could simply claim that what was needed was dedicated to God. It was vowed to God, and therefore they didn't have to give it to their parent. So, tradition that these elders had instituted would be able, you could avoid having to honor your father and mother. You get the idea. And in this way, in a number of other traditions, the elders' traditions were trumping God's word. You see, for the sake of their tradition, the Jewish leaders made void the word of God. And it's no surprise then that Jesus then continues in verses 7, 8, and 9. He says, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Isaiah, the verse that Jesus is quoting here, Isaiah was actually talking about the Israelites 700 years before Jesus was even in the picture. And now we see Jesus teaching that this was actually a prophecy as well about the Jewish leaders that he was currently talking to. It was a really awkward scene, really, because he was calling out the Jewish leaders. The disciples respected these men. It was just really, there's a lot of tension. 
And Jesus tells us that their worship is in vain. It's useless. It's superficial because they, they don't honor God or his word. And it's not just the Jewish leaders. It's the heart of every person, all of us, me and you guys, where all our hearts are far from Jesus. And they tend to be rebellious against Jesus. Our hearts do. We do. And in this case, this is, this is exactly what's happening with the Jewish leaders. And Jesus wants to get to the point. See, outwardly, they look like they're honoring God with their tradition. But inwardly, they have rebelled against God's word. It instituted traditions that meant little to nothing, really. And we too must be especially careful about this. So we naturally tend to focus on the, the outward things, the box checking of our faith. See, the washing of hands was not necessarily a bad thing. It was actually it was a pretty smart thing in terms of hygiene, washing your hands before eating food, especially if you've done something like picked up dog poop or something crazy like that. Like, it's a good thing to wash your hands before you eat. See, at the wedding in Galilee, Jesus, early on in Jesus' ministry, there were six stone jars full of water. Was that a wedding? So you might remember this story, John 2. And the water that were in the jars were used for the Jewish ceremonial washing. It's about 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus didn't overturn the jars. In fact, he turned the jar, the water in the jars, which was likely pure because that's what you had to have in the jars for the washing of hands. He turned what was in the jar into wine, and not just any wine, but the best tasting wine at the wedding. So why here, why now, is Jesus calling out the Jewish leaders for the washing of hands? And it's because the scribes and Pharisees, they weren't honoring God with their hearts and, and their, their lives. They were honoring God with their lips and their traditions. So for the sake of their tradition, the Jewish leaders made void the word of God. And this is a danger for us to do. We can stand and sing and pray and worship and give and serve and put a bumper sticker on the back of our car and be Christians, but still be far from God. Our hearts can still be far from God. The point is this in these first nine verses of Matthew 15, is we must rely on God's word for everything. For everything we do, we have to rely on God's word. I mean, the primary way we do this is to let the word consume every part of our life. David Platt, he's an author and pastor. He pastors up in D.C. He says it this way, authority in the church doesn't come from any man's opinions or ideas, but only from Christ the head of the church, who leads us by means of spirit-inspired scripture. He pulls that from 2 Timothy 3, who leads us by means of spirit-inspired scripture. This means that we must let the word drive every decision and practice. And in verse 9, Jesus says, in vain do they worship me. He's quoting Isaiah. So Jesus, he wants to focus on the heart. He wants to focus on, on worship. Right? Worship, put a really simple way, worship is a lifestyle. Your life is, can honor and worship the Father. It can honor and worship God, but just the way that you live. And so he says, in vain do they worship me. Jesus wants to pivot towards the main point that he's about to hit on. And again, you've got to imagine the scene, right? The scribes and Pharisees have come to call out Jesus it's awkward tension. Mom and dad are fighting. The disciples don't want to say anything, so they're just there. And Jesus wants to meet them where they are. 
Just like he met them where they were in chapter 14, he was teaching them and showing them. He wants to do the same thing here in Matthew 15. He wants to care for them. He wants to meet them where they are, no matter if they're exploring their faith or beginning in their faith or thriving in their faith. He wants to show them this heart issue that they have and that we have. That's what he says in verse 10. He called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It's interesting that he said those two words, hear and understand. He knew that what he was about to say in the next couple lines of of his teaching were going to be radical. They were going to drop, it was going to drop the jaws of the Pharisees and scribes and his disciples. It was going to be new and a radical teaching. He knew that. And so he said, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? The Jews had been taught from little, almost birth, that they were not supposed to eat certain foods like pork and shrimp, that it would defile them. These food laws, they weren't even ceremonial laws. They were written laws in the book of Leviticus. You can read them. And the purpose of these laws was to separate God's people from other people around them. And God did this by instituting special diets. And so this is important for us to understand because this would prove to be a difficult teaching, especially for Peter. Imagine if your entire life you were told you couldn't eat something And then some person who's calling out people that you respect is like, also, you don't have to do this. And you're like, wait, we can eat pork and shrimp? Like, what? So for Jesus to tell this crowd that the Pharisees and the disciples among them, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, that would be a radically new teaching. Also in verse 12, I find this really funny. (laughs) The disciples letting Jesus know that he might have offended the Pharisees. Uh, Duh, that's kind of the point. It's exactly what he was doing. It's what he was there to do. But what's interesting about them saying something about the scribes and Pharisees is this, is that it meant likely the Pharisees had left because the disciples or anybody that was a Jew would have respected these Jewish leaders. Even if they were right or wrong, they would have respected them because their entire life they were raised in this Jewish culture. It was ingrained in them to respect these men, these leaders of their faith. And so they wouldn't, like I said, they didn't say anything until this point, which means likely they're gone. So Jesus, he turns to the disciples and he addresses their concern for the offended Pharisees. And this is what he says. I'm not sure if he addresses it. Well, he does. He addresses it for sure. But he he sets them straight about who and what and why. This is what he says. Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted, will be rooted up. Notice how he says, my heavenly father, acknowledging that he is the son of God. My heavenly father has not planted, will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Imagine being on a hike. Like, I want to hike Mount Everest. I've been told no by my wife. She doesn't want me to die. Uh, I want to hike. Like, I really do. I want to climb to the top of Mount Everest. That'd be a awesome thing for me to do. But if I had a blind guide, that would suck. I would not want to do that. If they were like, oh yeah, we we got you Fred, the blind guide, I'd be like, no, actually, I think I'm just going to go home. I'm good. And that's what Jesus calls them, uh, blind guides. They're blind because they show no respect or reverence for God's word. They make it void. They don't honor God or his son, who is the light of the world. And Jesus tells the disciples to leave them and not to follow them. 
Because if the blind lead the blind, they will both fall into a pit. An endless, bottomless pit. And then Peter, I think this is really cool what happens next. It has to do with this sermon a little bit, but not really. So pull out for just a second with me here. So Peter is confused, just like most of the other disciples. They're confused. Jesus is teaching something radically new. Chapter 14 just happened. They confessed that he was Jesus, and now they're confused. And here we see Peter goes to Jesus and asks a question. Instead of running away from Jesus in this moment of confusion and not understanding and things are hard and Jesus is, they feel like Jesus is disrespecting the Jewish leaders and he's saying new things, instead of running away, Peter turns and says, Jesus, explain the parable to us. And Jesus says, are you also still without understanding? Peter went to Jesus and asked him a question in the hardest moment of where Peter was. He went to Jesus. And then Jesus was probably a little bit like, dude, you've been with me for two years. Like, I have to explain this. You just, you just confessed that I'm the son of God. Like, why are we explaining this again? But he does it. Being the good teacher and shepherd that he is, he explains it. That's what he says, verse 17 through 20. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and then is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. We must cultivate changed hearts. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Everything revolves around the heart. Everything. We must cultivate changed hearts because our hearts, they produce the things that either defile us or honor and glorify God. And we can check all the spiritual boxes we want, serving and giving and coming to church on Sunday and putting the bumper sticker on our car. We can do all those things, but if our hearts are not changed, if we're not wanting our hearts to be more like Christ, then we're missing the point. These are all good things. They're all really good things. The washing of hands is a good thing. It kept them clean when they ate. But if we're doing all these things and our hearts aren't changed, then it's all pointless. 1 Samuel 16, 7 is a really good verse. That's what it says. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks on the heart. And Jesus looks at the heart. He doesn't care about the things you're doing. I mean, he does, but it's not, it's not the end game. It's the heart. Jesus looks at the heart, and if our hearts are not fighting to be more like Jesus every day, then we're missing the point. When we fully commit our hearts, not just our actions, but our hearts, Jesus will start to become, sorry, we will start to become more like him. And when we become more like him, our hearts are changing. And when our hearts are changing, our worship is true and honoring to him. It's not in vain like the Pharisees. And, and it begins when Jesus forgives us of our sins, and then he fills us with the Holy Spirit. 
Give us the Spirit of God in our hearts to be with us. And only the Holy Spirit can change us from the inside out. It can only change our hearts. And when he changes us, when we are reliant on God's word for everything, when we go to God's word for every decision, when we go to it daily just to study, when we go to it in the hardest moments of our life, we're relying on it. And when we continue to cultivate and grow a deeper relationship with Jesus through prayer and through the word, Galatians 5 tells us what happens. Anybody remember from Sunday school? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what starts to pour out of our heart. It's a heart transplant. But remember, Peter and the disciples, chapter 14, they bow down, they confess that he's Lord and Savior. And then not one chapter later, they're confused. They're scratching their heads and they're like, well, Jesus is disrespecting the Pharisees and he's teaching these new radical things that we don't understand. And here's Jesus meeting them where they are, showing them what to do. The heart is the issue. It revolves around the heart. It's continual growth. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are being sanctified from one degree to the next. All that means is that we're growing to become more like him every day. Every day we are finding ways to say yes to Jesus over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus met them where they were. No matter if they were exploring in their faith, beginning in their faith, thriving in their faith, he met them where they were. And he wants to do the same with us. He wants to change our hearts. He wants our hearts to pour out this love and this grace and this freedom that we have to everybody around us. And it has nothing to do with our actions, but our actions help cultivate those relationships, the relationship with him. So Jesus wants to change our hearts and make us more like him. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love and your grace, Lord. We pray that as we leave this room, we, we would leave encouraged. We would leave with our eyes fixed on you. Lord, that we would be reliant on your word. Lord, this is your word. So Lord, we pray that we are reliant on it. Lord, we, are, we pray that we would continue to cultivate deep relationships with you. And as we do so, Lord, that we would say yes to the daily things that pop up in life to become more like you. That we would choose the fruit of the Spirit, Lord. Love and joy and peace. So Lord, thank you again for your, for your grace. Thank you for your Spirit. Lord, I pray that it would guide us and lead us. Make us more like you. I pray all this in your name.